Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Again, everybody, and welcome to this edition of If You Don't Like That. In a moment, Grant's stories and what I'm thankful for. Part one of a two-part podcast. The second part will be on Friday, right after Thanksgiving. I hope you are getting ready to have a fabulous Thanksgiving. I will tell you what I am thankful for as we get ready to wrap up 2022. I'll tell you what I'm really thankful for is the support that I've had from New Works Plumbing. They've been awesome from day one. When I decided to start this podcast, uh, they stepped right up and said, what can we do to support you? And uh, they have been loyal. They have been incredible. And I absolutely love talking about them on a daily basis. New Works Plumbing for all of your plumbing needs and repairs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. And whether it's leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing, New Works is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Again, for your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com or sacserviceplumbing.com. New Works Plumbing, they're awesome, and I thank them very, very much for their sponsorship. You know, in a nutshell, as I sit here and talk to you, Thanksgiving week of 2022, uh, I'm really grateful for the career that I've had. If you had told me as a young boy or as a high school or college graduate, somebody that was just looking to get into the business, that at some point I would announce the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, host shows nationally on both ESPN Radio and the Jim Rome Show, I would have said, I'm dreaming. There's just no way that would happen. But it really did start in my childhood. It really started because I was blessed to have a father who was just so into sports and wanted to pass that on to his children and wanted to share in the excitement. Many of you have listened to the interview that I had with my father on the radio station in Sacramento with Mike Lamb, uh, probably now, gosh, I don't know, 18, 19 years ago. And I used to play that interview every Friday before Father's Day because people were blown away at my dad growing up in New York and all of the great sporting events that you had a chance to see. 
So really, at an early age, as a matter of fact, I went to my first New York Giants game at age three. And really, from about age four on, I was at an NFL game every single Sunday, whether it was at Yankee Stadium watching the Giants or at Shea Stadium watching the Jets. My dad had season tickets for both the Jets and the Giants. And I didn't realize at the time how incredibly fortunate and lucky that I was. I just, that was part of my life. And I was always looking forward to when the big manila envelope came in the mail and it was the season tickets for the Giants and the Jets and my dad would open it up and I would run over to him and look at the tickets and I was so excited to see the logos a lot of times they would have the helmets of the opposing team for that week's ticket and I used to look at the tickets and I used to just like oh wow all right we're going to be here on this Sunday and then we're at Shea Stadium the next Sunday and then I'm going to be able to watch Jim Brown play I'm going to be able to watch Roger Staubach play I'm going to be able to watch Johnny Unitas play and Bubba Paris and Joe Namath and you know Daryl LaMonica and George Blanda and Fred Belitnikoff and those great players from that era and it was such a thrill for me to be in an NFL game every week but you know I'm really thankful that my dad opened up this entire horizon to me that was really unlimited as a kid because we would go to college games. We would go to his alma mater, Union College, for college football games, college basketball games in Schenectady, New York, which was about a four-hour drive from Long Island. And I remember as a, as a kid on Fridays when we were going to go to a Union College football game and we would stay at his best friend's house, Frank Terramina. And Frank wrote one of the most amazing uh, I'll read it to you in just a couple of minutes, actually. It, it was beyond amazing what his best friend wrote upon the death of my father. I thought it just completely put his life in, in perspective and showed what kind of man he was. But I used to get so excited when we would go to Union College for a weekend in Schenectady because I would always get out of school early. My dad would pick me up at school, and I remember many times in middle school, I would be picked up around 11 or 12 and, you know, I'd always be looking at the clock. Oh, where's my dad? I want to get the hell out of school. I want to get in the car and go have a great weekend up in Union College. But my father was everything to me. You know, my mother, as I've been uh, very open, was raising a uh, at-knee child. Uh, my sister was born brain damaged and required around-the-clock care. And that was the burden that was put on my parents. And I mean burden, unless you live through it, you really don't have any idea what that's like and when I talk about burden you know both my mom and dad if they had to do it all over again would obviously if they had a magic wand and they could make my sister be quote-unquote normal obviously they would have done that but uh, the satisfaction the gratification the euphoria the life lessons that the Napier family learned from Jane was and still are to this day uh, incredible and I really can't sufficiently put it in the words during this podcast but my mom was always 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 busy with my sister my dad worked in the city as an insurance broker Matthew Napier and company and I should say Matthew Napier and son and company uh, my dad's father my grandfather started the business and my dad used to commute into New York City every single day and we were a middle-class family in Syosset, Long Island. We grew up uh, in a middle-class neighborhood. We didn't have anything fancy. My dad didn't go out and buy nice cars and didn't go out and buy nice clothes. All the extra money that my dad made went into my sister and going to games. There was nothing else. I remember going shopping at the A&P in Syosset, New York, about a mile from our house. And I always used to love going shopping with my dad. And my dad 
on Saturday morning would always drop off his clothes at the dry cleaner and pick up the clothes that he had dropped off previously. And that was part of the routine and took a long time because my dad used to talk to everyone, always was sociable, was always talking to people. It really didn't matter who it was. You would get my dad in a conversation and he would ask you, how are you doing and how is your family and how's work going? And, you know, it wasn't just like you were going to drop your clothes off and take off. It was quite a process. If you stopped and, and we got gas at the Getty station, or the Esso uh, uh, station back then, you know, he was going to talk to the gentleman that came out and filled up your car. There was no self-service back then. And, you know, it might take two minutes to fill up the car, but it was 10 minutes to talk to the individual that was filling up the car. That's what it was like uh, growing up with Bert Napier. But again, I used to love going shopping with my dad because I learned a lot because he would buy everything that was on sale. And again, back then, I didn't really understand why that was. But later in life, I realized that every extra penny went to my sister and going to games. And that's how I was raised and that's how I was brought up. I've shared the story of learning about my dad's passing about three hours before I was to do a game in San Antonio on November 2nd of 2007. And my dad had always told me, don't ever miss a game because of me. If anything happens to me, you know, you need to work. I always took great pride in going to work every day. It was important to me. And Frank Terramina, who was the principal at Niskayuna High School in Schenectady, New York, was my dad's uh, best friend, college roommates. And when my dad passed, two days later, this is what Frank Terramina put out to everyone via email. He wrote, Bert Napier passed away Friday, November 2nd, 2007. Stu Napier just called me around 9.30 to tell me. My college roommate, a 61-year relationship has ended. No more late-night phone calls, no more lengthy phone conversations, no more discussions about what cause he was supporting. Could there have been anyone more interested in the cause of justice for everyone than Bert was? What a legacy of warmth and humor and genuine affection and respect I've enjoyed all my life in my relationship with him. Could there have been anything more worth having than his friendship, which I have had the privilege to take part in all this time? What a wealth of something really worth having he brought to me in the form of his family, his mother and father and sister. Could there have been any better examples of decency, generosity, of flat-out human goodness? What a rare commodity that is than the Napier family. And Bert, whatever else he did, always stood for that. For a genuine concern for other people, particularly people who may not have enjoyed the advantages that some people do. The women he visited in prison. The concern he had for minorities. What did Charlie Dugan once say? There was no one in our circle of friends and acquaintances who was a better Christian than Bert. No person who cared more. The Samaritan in the gospel story. That is who he was, caring and doing something about it. Now he has left the inevitable end of the personal journey, which we shall all come to as he came to it quietly while he was watching a sports event on TV, ESPN. Could it have been a call by the referee which took him? What a treasure of memories and good times I have because of my friend Bert. How ironic that he came here to homecoming less than a month ago. 
that we enjoyed each other's company, that he renewed his sense of attachment to Union College. What he saw, old friends, Pepper Martin and Gil Harlow, running around from place to place and person to person. Nothing different about that. Even meeting President Ainley, asking him if there was a war protest movement at the college. How blessed I have been in having people in my life who love me. Should we ask a question? Do I deserve this? How does anyone know what they deserve? I just know what I got. And what I got in this friendship was a lifelong blessing. I hope I may be as grateful as I should be for this gift bestowed on me. That still to this day brings tears to my eyes because that is my dad's life in a couple of paragraphs from his best friend, Frank Terramino. I can talk to you about my dad and you might say, well, everyone's going to talk about their mom or dad that way. And I would hope that would be the case. But when somebody that knew my dad for 61 years writes a eulogy that he puts on email to everyone, there really has not been anything finer other than the story that I told you about how he changed my friend Chris's life at the age of nine as we were watching a baseball game. But now I'm going to get into some of my stories and what it was like growing up in the Napier household. I was uh, probably, I would say, second grade or third grade when I started listening to the Knicks and the Rangers on radio. And Marv Albert was the voice on radio of the Rangers and the Knicks. And Marv also was the sports anchor on Channel 4 WNBC-TV in New York. And I would listen to games and I would just be captivated by the way Marv Albert announced both the Knicks and the Rangers. And I grew up about a block from the grade school, Split Rock School, Syosset. And I would run home for lunch and my go-to meal was a grilled cheese sandwich. And we had a little skillet, little grill. And I used to turn it on and I'd go get the bread and the cheese And boom, I would make my sandwich and I would then run out the house and I would eat my sandwich as I was walking back to the school because I wanted to reserve the basketball court for my friends, the ones that ate lunch in school because they took the bus to school. And if you took the bus to school, you had to eat lunch in school because obviously where were you going to go? But if you didn't, you could leave and go do what you want at home and then come back after the bell rang. So... I would have the basketball on the basketball court and my buddies, Chris Russo and everyone else would come out and we would play basketball and I would announce the game at the same time. And I used to get a pretty amazing reaction even back then from the kids at Split Rock School. And then, of course, sometimes we would play tackle football and, you know, I'd come in with holes in my jeans and then I'd have to go home and listen to my mom tell me, hey, we just bought these pants you know, a couple of days ago and you already have holes in them. And, you know, my mom would put the patches on the knees and about a week or two later, I'd go through the patches playing tackle football out on the schoolyard. And that's really what lunch was like every day. And if it was raining, we probably would not be able to play basketball because the kids would not be allowed outside to play. And I would spend a little bit more time at home during the lunch break because if it was raining hard, you weren't going to be playing outdoors. But then when I got into grade school, I had then been practicing play-by-play for a couple of years, and pretty amazing, whenever we had a class assembly, 
I was in eighth grade. And whenever we had a class assembly, you were not able to leave the assembly room until the bell rang. And I'll never forget that one day, the program ran short, and there was probably 10 minutes, and we were all hanging around. And all of a sudden, my buddy goes, you need to get up there and entertain us and do a, a play-by-play. And I'm like, no, man, no, no, come on, stop it. And they were, and the kid goes, let's go, Grant, Grant, Grant. And everyone started chanting my name. All the kids in middle school started chanting my name. So I got up on the stage, and I'm really thankful that I had that experience because at that age, it took the, I want to say it took the fear from me. In other words, I've always mentioned this. Speaking into a microphone like I'm doing now by myself is pretty easy for me. When you are standing and everyone's staring at you, that's really intimidating. And it was intimidating for me that day. So I said, do you want a Knicks game or a Rangers game? And they said Knicks. And, you know, the Knicks had just won a world championship. They had Willis Reed and Walt Frazier and Bill Bradley and Dave DeBusher and Phil Jackson and Mike Reardon. And the Lakers had Jerry West and they had Happy Hairston and they had Wilt Chamberlain. And, you know, that team was really, really good. And so not only would I do the play-by-play, but I would do commercials. So, uh, again, I try to imitate Marv's voice probably can't do it now, but I would get up on stage and I would say, and we welcome you to Madison Square Garden next basketball. And it is brought to you by the FNM Brewers of Schaefer Beer. Schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more than one. And by Eastern Airlines, the wings of man and the second largest passenger carrier in the free world. And by Ford, what America needs a better idea, Ford puts it on wheels. By the way, I'm doing all of this from memory. I have nothing written down. I still remember the commercials and everything else from back when I was <laughs> 13 years old. So I would start doing uh, play-by-play. And the next uh, here in the third with a 66-60 lead. And Frazier brings it across behind the back dribble. Now flips to Reed. Holds it high over his head. Cross court to Bradley. Here's the 20-footer. Yes. And uh, the, you know, and then he would go on and on and on. And I would start doing the play-by-play. And, you know, again, uh, sometimes I'd put a commercial. You know, I'd do a run. And after like four or five minutes of doing play-by-play. And the Lakers take a timeout. You know, for just about every kind of beer you could aim, there's one beer that stands a cut above the others, and that beer is Schaefer. Schaefer comes on, first beer bright, first beer rewarding, every beer through from your first frosty glass to your very last. And that's why Schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more than one. The Knicks with the lead here in the third against the Lakers. And Willis Reed is the leading scorer with 24 points. And so I would do that. And then the bell would ring and everyone would start booing because they would want me to do the game. And then I get to high school and I'm in 10th grade, which is 10th, 11th, and 12th were the high school years. We went to middle school in 7th, 8th, and 9th. And my sophomore year, I was playing on the JV football team. And both the JV and the varsity, we would go to football camp in Pennsylvania for a week before we started practicing at the high school. And we're on the bus, and there, there were two buses, and the JV had a bus and the varsity had a bus. Uh-uh, no. The varsity players made me go on their bus. And little did I know at the time, the reason is they made me do an entire game from start to finish on the bus ride from Long Island to Pennsylvania. 
And I'm not exaggerating. I did an entire game starting at 0-0. I had commercials. I had everything. And I literally did that for two hours on the bus. I was so talked out when I got to Pennsylvania. But that's how I lived my childhood. People would want to hear me announce games. And I would do it. I would take the highlights from the Knicks and the Rangers and bring them into homeroom before the bell rang for the first period. So, you know... I was grateful and thankful that my dad introduced me to sports at such an early age and never in a million years did I ever think that I would have the opportunity to work with Willis Reed. See, I would think when I look back at my career, you know, one of the craziest things when you're a kid and you're going to games, like you idolize the players that you're watching. I mean, gosh, if I could have met the New York Giants, if I could have met Walt Frazier or Willis Reed or Bill Bradley or Dave DeBusher or Phil Jackson or the New York Rangers that I grew up watching, I mean, to think that I would be announcing a game years later at Madison Square Garden sitting three seats away from Walt Frazier and four seats away from Marv Albert and we were announcing the same game. That's just a fairy tale. There's nothing other than that. That's a fairy tale. That's beyond a dream come true. And I'll never forget the first time I did a game at Madison Square Garden. In 1988, the Kings and the Knicks, a building that my dad and I and my brother had been to on many, many occasions. Not really Knicks games. Matter of fact, I don't think I ever went to a Knicks game with my dad and my brother growing up because you couldn't get tickets. But we were at Ranger games. My dad took us to the Milrose games. One of my favorite memories as a kid was watching Marty LaQuarrie, the track star out of Villanova, win the mile on the short track. One of the great achievements that I've ever seen. You would think there's no way in the world that Marty LaQuarrie was going to be able to win the race. And then with about two laps left, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon. And then on the bell lap, it was just one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen. I'll never forget Marty LaQuarrie at the Milrose Games. But we used to go to the uh, ECAC Holiday Festival. My dad took us to college basketball games at the Garden. I'll never forget he came home one day from work and said, hey, tomorrow, if you get your work done early, I'm taking you to the All-Star Game, the NHL All-Star Game. Bobby Orr was playing in it. I'll never forget Bobby Orr tripped coming out, being introduced, and fell on the ice. Bobby Orr, the Boston Bruins. I mean, you know, we hate Boston and New York, but that's Bobby freaking Orr I was watching. I'll never forget that as a kid going to the NHL All-Star Game. And so, you know, my dad always, always tried to take us to these sporting events. But back to 1988, you know, for me to be at Madison Square Garden uh, 1988, and my producer wanted me to interview Marv Albert for a halftime interview. And I interviewed Marv at center court, and my dad was on the court. I got him a press pass, and my aunt Lucille was there. And that was probably one of the proudest moments that I've ever had, that I was able to take my dad onto the court at Madison Square Garden and meet Marv Albert, meet John Andres, Marv's, you know, uh, analyst at the time and other great Knicks that were there and be around some of the coaches on the Kings. And he met Gary Gerald and he met Jerry Reynolds. And it, it was great. I was doing the games with Ted Green back then, but Jerry was, you know, an assistant coach. And it was just so phenomenal and obviously a general manager as well. But it was so phenomenal to have my dad there. And I also took him that week to the Boston Garden, and I'll never forget taking his picture on the logo at the Boston Garden at center court. 
And I was just thinking about how many great games my dad would have seen of those great Celtics teams in the 50s, right, with Russell and those tremendous, tremendous teams with Red Auerbach. And, you know, my dad was just uh, so incredibly grateful, and I was so happy when I was able to take my dad on a road trip uh, the following year because Channel 31 was uh, allowed to have two additional seats on the airplane for clients and everything on select games. And so uh, Elliot Trushinsky, who is the best, uh, allowed me to take my dad on a road trip to Portland and L.A. And again, taking my dad to the Great Western Forum to watch Kareem and Magic and Worthy. And so, like, to be able to pay it back, you know, to my father, who was just like a little kid in a candy store, when I was able to do that, was probably uh, the, the best moments of my career. I always share the story that when I found out that I was going to be the TV announcer for the Kings, in the spring of 1988, obviously I walked out of Elliot's office, the general manager of Channel 31, and I went to the nearest phone. Obviously, there were no cell phones back then, and the first phone call I made was to my dad. And um, I said, Dad, you're talking to the new TV voice of the Sacramento Kings. And he said, what? I said, yep, I got the job, Dad. I'm the new TV voice of the Sacramento Kings. And my dad broke down on the phone, and I broke down on the phone. And, you know, 63 years of age uh, is the most amazing conversation that I've ever had, the most joyful conversation I've ever had. And I've shared to you the saddest conversation I ever had was the last time I talked to Paul Westfall, six months before uh, he died of brain cancer. And I I love Paul. You know, I'm grateful and thankful for all of the amazing people that I've had a chance to meet in doing this. If you had told me that as a kid or as a college student watching Phil Sims play, who I just loved, that I would be doing interviews with Phil and then I would meet Phil in Lake Tahoe and Phil now knows me and you know he was so generous coming on my show and you want to talk about things coming full circle, you know, to be around Phil Sims, to be around Willis Reed and to do games with Bill Walton, I mean, if you had told me that I would be broadcasting games with Bill Walton, I just would have never believed it in a million years. But, you know, when you're that age and you're starting off and you're, you know, meeting these individuals who you idolized, and then you meet them in real life and they're great people. Willis Reed's one of the great people. I mean, the nicest guy in the world. You know, I remember meeting Mike Singletary when he played for the Bears and, you know, the Hall of Fame linebacker and, boy, the most vicious guy in the world. But, boy, if you could talk to Mike Singletary in person, soft-spoken, respectful, uh, just the, the, the demeanor is completely different than when on the field. Same thing when I met Harry Carson. But when you meet individuals who you grew up watching and they turn out to be great people as well, it's just an incredible feeling. And you talk about coming full circle. So I, after a while, you realize that people are people. And yeah, it's great to be able to talk to Willis Reed in person and get to know him and Phil Sims and, you know, other greats. But I'll never forget when I was doing the show with Mike Lamb and we had Aaron Rodgers on. Aaron had just graduated from Cal and Aaron was booked to come on the show, but I was off that day. I think I had gone away for a long weekend and Aaron goes, where's Grant? And Mike goes, oh, Grant's off today. And Aaron goes, he's off. It's the only reason why I came on the show. 
And they started laughing. And Aaron goes, Grant's my idol. I grew up with Grant. Grant's not working today? And Mike goes, well, are you playing in the Celebrity Golf Tournament in a couple weeks in Tahoe, right? And Aaron said, yes. He said, you'll see Grant there. We're going to be there all week. And so I met Aaron for the first time at the Celebrity Golf Tournament in Lake Tahoe. And that started a friendship that we still have today. And Aaron used to come on my show whenever I needed him. Whenever I filled in for Jim Rome, if I needed Aaron, no problem. He would come on with me. I mean, I had Aaron on the week of the Super Bowl. Think about that. And then I had him on the day after the Packers won the Super Bowl. All right? Think about that for a minute. How many local radio stations in America had Aaron Rodgers on the day after they won the Super Bowl? So, you know, I understand where Aaron was coming from when he said, Grant's my idol. Because, you know, listen, he was a kid growing up, loved watching the Kings. I was the TV announcer. And I get that because... I felt the same way about Willis Reed and felt the same way about Phil Sims. But growing up as a kid, the background that my dad gave me, the just the, the ability to fall in love with sports and growing up in New York and listening to Marv Albert, there was nothing like that for me. And had I not grown up in New York, I honestly believe I would have gone in to a different profession. But Marv captivated me to a point where I want to do that. And I started practicing. And I'll never forget the first time I met Marv Albert was when I was in middle school. I want to say I was in ninth grade. And I was really good friends with a family, uh, Tom Oaks and Peter Oaks. And Tom and Peter went to school with me. Tom was a year older than Peter and Tom was my age. And they were really close with the McGuire's, Al McGuire, Dick McGuire, the whole McGuire family. And they said, we have to have you meet Marv Albert. We're going to make that happen. And I'll never forget going to a Knicks-Bulls game when Jerry Sloan played for the Bulls and uh, Bullwinkle and Walker and Love, and they had great seats. They were two rows off the floor. And the Knicks were the hottest ticket in New York then. And I was so excited to go to a Knicks game that I I had never seen the Knicks play in person. You couldn't get tickets. But what I was most excited about was meeting Marv Albert. And to this day, I remember what I was wearing. Uh, I had a pair of white linen pants, and I had kind of a busy red shirt with a pattern on it. And, you know, I had long hair back then. Every That was the style. And gentleman came down and got me and said, uh, follow me. And I went up to the broadcast position, and we waited for Marv. And here comes Marv. And the gentleman introduced me to Marv. I want to say it's probably... Dick McGuire, now that I think about it, that introduced me to Marv. And I talked to Marv for only about five minutes. But Marv, it was, it, it was such a thrill for me. Like, I'll never forget that. That's why when I used to do games, I always used to stay and hang out with the fans after the game, whether I was at home or on the road, and take pictures, sign autographs. I never said no, never. And I learned that from two individuals. I learned that because of how I felt When I met Marv as a 15-year-old kid, I remember that. I remember how special it was to me. And I remember watching Chick Hearn when he used to come into Arco after games and all the Laker fans would want to spend time with Chick. And Chick gave them time. And those two experiences have always left a real footprint on my life about how I handle the fans. And it's probably why I enjoy doing this so much now, whether it's podcast or on YouTube or on Listen App, 
because the fans are really what it's all about. Without you, why? I mean, without you, I don't, I don't have a broadcasting life. I don't have an opportunity to do this. But that experience as a 15-year-old meeting Marv and how much it meant to me, you know, to this day, that has meant as much to me as almost anything in my career. And then to watch Chick Hearn as a 28-year-old broadcaster in the NBA, I'm like, wow, that's Chick Hearn. And I always, always, always made sure that I would have time for people. And there were times when people would come down to the floor at the Golden One Center or Arco Arena, and I was already getting ready to go on, and I would say, hey, I need you to come down after the game. I can't leave right now. You know, I would, I would never just blow anyone off and go, no, and put my hands up. I would say, hey, come back. Come back after the game, and I'll be here. I'll do what you want. Because I just think without the fans, then you have nothing. So that was always instilled in me. And then my dad. I mean, my dad, I didn't talk to people like my dad. I'm actually, believe it or not, very shy around people that I don't know. I'm not comfortable in going to like cocktail parties and things of that nature. I'm not comfortable. It's not really something that I've ever become comfortable with. I'm not, I'm not that uh, comfortable in being in a room with a lot of people that I don't know. Once I start talking to them, then it's great, but I'm not good at opening. My dad was an opener. My dad would go anywhere and he would talk to anybody, whether it was on the train whether it was at the grocery store, the dry cleaner, the gas station. Like, my dad was always talking to people. My brother's the same way. My brother could walk into a room of 50 people that he doesn't know and stay there for five hours and have everyone's number and email address. That's just, I can't do that. I'm not like that. I'm totally different. You would think it would just be the opposite because of me being a broadcaster. No, I've never been comfortable. That's why when I reflect back to what I'm really grateful for and thankful, I'm thankful that my friends made me get up on stage in eighth grade because the kids loved it. My friends loved it. And I was like, wow, okay. And then I did it a couple more times. And sometimes I would do, you know, hockey. And they would want a Rangers game. And it took the the apprehension. And I think when I became... Uh, or, or had the opportunity to be on TV for the first time on national TV at the California Bowl. I had never been on TV before, but I really wasn't as nervous as I think I would have been had it not been for the experience that I had in junior high school with the kids putting me up on the stage. So, you know, as a kid growing up, to be at games all the time, to have the influence of my dad, you know, I told the story of being in high school And my dad comes to the first game and said, hey, who's that new running back? And I said, oh, that's Joe. And he goes, where's Joe from? I said, dad, I don't really know. And I said, you know, I just met him just a couple weeks ago. And he said, okay. And he said, all right. And my dad learned more. And so finally, the story was like, my dad goes, why don't you invite him to a, a game? And I said, really? He goes, yeah, invite him to a game. So I invited Joe. I can't remember if it was the Giants game or the Jets game. And he said, no. And I told you the story that my dad then called the school and found out that Joe was from an orphanage and he had just moved to town and the orphanage was about a half mile from the high school. And my dad reached out to the orphanage and we found out later that the reason why Joe, Joe Marino, the reason why he didn't want to go to the game is he was embarrassed. He didn't want people to see where he was living. And, you know, I mean, how many, how many parents would do what my dad did? Number one, call the school, then call the orphanage and arrange for Joe to go to the game with us. And my dad always brought food when we went to the game. We didn't really 
buy food a lot of times at the game. My dad would bring sandwiches to the game. My dad would go to the store, the deli, whatever the case, the morning of the game, and my dad would make sandwiches for everyone. You were allowed to bring food in. You could bring it in in a paper bag, and that's what we did. And my dad loved heroes, so you know we got the big hero sandwich. And I'll never forget, you know, Joe's reaction when my dad said, "Hey, you want a sandwich?" And it's a little thing. And then my dad would give us each like you know literally 50 cents to go buy a soda, whatever the case may be. But, you know, I, I just, I reflect back on my childhood. I reflect back on uh, how grateful that I was, that I was able to have that lifestyle. And I'm also grateful that I've really worked for everything I've had. And my dad, as I said, and my mom were middle class. Uh, every extra dime that my dad made went to my sister. And most of my money most of my dad's money went to my sister and then sports tickets, which fortunately were not that much back then. But, you know, I grew up with a good work ethic and I grew up knowing that, you know what, you go to work, all right? If someone's paying you to do a job, you go to work and you work and you pay your dues. And I paid my dues. You know, I talk about my first job out of college at WKIQ Radio in Bowling Green, Ohio, doing the morning show where I had to read the funeral report Brought to you by Klotz Flowers on East Wooster Street. And I have to read the obituaries two days a week. That was part of being a morning DJ and playing the music and the weather and the sports. And I did that Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. I had to be on the air. And it's now time for the funeral report. Today's funeral report brought to you by Klotz Flowers. Klotz Flowers on East Wooster Street in Bowling Green. Here are the obituaries. And then I would go out and sell advertising for shows and then I was also doing play-by-play a lot of play-by-play of Bowling Green Hockey who were a national powerhouse won the national championship in 83 most of my friends uh, that are today very close friends were on that team George McPhee Hobie Baker award winner Bowling Green one of my closest friends and I learned a lot from George you know he was on a full ride at Bowling Green, as you would think. Great hockey player from Guelph, Ontario. And you know what I remember about George more than anything? I remember George always walking around campus in his letterman jacket with his backpack on, always going to the library. And I just, that always stood out to me, that George McPhee, who won the Hobie Baker Award, was, you know, that's the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy of hockey. And yet, if you wanted to find George, go to the library. And George, after he left playing hockey, went to law school at Rutgers, got his law degree, and then, of course, front office executive, and now is the president of the Vegas Golden Knights. He put that entire team together. You know, I talk about work ethic. You know, I worked my first full-time job in TV in Decatur, Illinois. I made $12,300. $12,300 was my salary back in 1984, and I was the sports anchor on the weekends, And during the week, three days a week, I was a news photographer. And I'd be going out and shoot accidents, city council meetings. I'd go out with a reporter for this story here, this story there. And I did that for nine months until they had it in the budget to make me a full-time sportscaster. And again, I wasn't making a lot of money. And we used to go sell our stories when we had an off day or we were going to do a story for the sports that night. I had a friend that would go with me and we'd go to St. Louis for the matinee games at Bush Stadium, two-hour drive. 
And that's when Whitey Herzog was the manager, and it was Whitey Ball. I'm also thankful that somebody told me, don't be offended when you're interviewing Whitey Herzog, and he walks away in the middle of a question. I'll get to that in a moment. But they had Willie McGee, they had Vince Coleman, and they had the wizard Ozzie Smith, and they had Jack Clark, and they had Andy Vance like They had Tommy Hurd second, and that was a great team. And we would go to the matinee, and I would get a couple of interviews. And yet the first time I interviewed Whitey Herzog, I, answer, uh, I asked him two questions. And on the third question, uh, in the middle of the question, he turned and walked away. And I will tell you that if somebody had not given me the heads up on that, if somebody had not warned me about Whitey Herzog walking away, I think I would have been so terrified that I probably would have quit my freaking job because it was the first time ever covering the St. Louis Cardinals at Bush Stadium. Ozzie Smith could not have been nicer. Great interview. Tommy Herr could not have been nicer. Jack Clark could not have been nicer. So we would do a story. And again, the Cardinals were winning the division every year, and they were in the World Series. That was the year that they lost to Kansas City uh, and the Don Deckinger call, and the Royals won the World Series. But you would go and you would get a couple of interviews, and then your photographer would shoot B-roll. So if you were doing a story on Jack Clark, you'd go interview Whitey Herzog, and then you'd go, hey, Tommy, tell me, you know, how, how big has Jack Clark been for your team this year? What, what does he really do for this team? And then you'd go interview somebody else. And so you'd have a couple of sound bites, and then you were hoping that for the first three or four innings that you were there, that Jack Clark would get a big hit. You know, and my photographer would be isoing on Jack Clark and you'd get him doing warm ups and things of that nature. Then you would drive back two hours and I'd go into the editing room and I would put together the story and it was on a three quarter inch cassette. And then you would put it in the case and then you would drive to Decatur Airport and you would put it on cargo to the next flight to Hartford, Connecticut. And you would then notify ESPN that you've got a tape coming and they would go to the airport in Hartford and they would pick it up or a courier, I should say, would bring the uh, tape to ESPN. And then you would watch SportsCenter that night with Chris Berman and Bob Lee. And you were just praying that you would hear your name on the introduction. So all of a sudden, Chris Berman and Bob Lee, they would do the highlights and the Cardinals were playing, let's say, the Brewers or whomever else it may be, or the Cubs, or whatever. You know, it wasn't the Brewers. The Brewers were in the American League back then. But you get my point. And then they would say, and what a year for Jack Clark as he's batting blah, 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 blah. For more on that, we get you to St. Louis and Grant Napier. And, you know, as a kid, and I still consider myself a kid, even though I was an adult, but, you know, I was young, 20s, and I'm doing this, and I'm like, wow, Bob Lee and Chris Berman, and Chris Berman just announced my name on ESPN, and all of a sudden, your story would come on, and there's me in a stand-up, and you had an ESPN mic flag that ESPN would send you, and you would have, and you'd put it on your microphone, so it looked like you were working for ESPN, but you were a stringer. And they paid $150, and I gave $75 to my cameraman, and I kept $75. And there was another sports network that was in the Midwest called Sports Time, and that's the, they, they also would do the same thing. They, if they used your story, they would pay you a fee. And I'll never forget doing the story on Wayman Tisdale outside the locker room. Oklahoma and Illinois, the big game of the week. Wayman Tisdale, the great three-time All-American for the Oklahoma Sooners, playing Lou Henson's Fighting Illini, ranked sixth in the country, two top ten teams on NBC. And so I'm like, okay, and I'm sitting courtside on the baseline with a camera on my shoulder, and I'm like, I'm going to do a feature on Wayman Tisdale. And Illinois beats Oklahoma. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not good. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get Wayman. So I go outside the locker room. 
and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and the sports information director comes out and says, hey, can I help you? I go, yeah, I, I'm really hoping I can get a quick word with Wayman Tisdale. I'm so-and-so and so-and-so. He goes, man, I don't know if he's going to come out after a loss. Hold on. All of a sudden, he walks out with Wayman and I said, uh, Wayman, it's a pleasure. My name is Grant Napier. And he nods. He doesn't even really say anything. And I asked Wayman three questions. And he was so soft-spoken, had his head down, but he gave me really good answers. And I said, hey, thank you very much. And then fast forward, one of the great times of my life was being around Wayman Tisdale when Wayman was traded to Sacramento. And I go, Wayman, you're probably never going to remember this, but I interviewed you once at Illinois after you lost. And he goes, outside the locker room? I started laughing. I go, yeah. He goes, I remember. And Wayman and his wife, Regina, would always invite me over to the house for the holidays. If it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, they knew I was single and didn't have a family. And they had an open door policy. And being around Wayman Tisdale was one of the great thrills of my life. I'm so thankful that Wayman Tisdale was in my life. I'm so thankful that Regina Tisdale was in my life during that period of time and after Wayman passed from cancer because Wayman Tisdale was the salt of the earth. You wouldn't meet anybody that didn't like Wayman Tisdale. You would never meet somebody that did not like Tizzy. Wayman Tisdale was the best, plain and simple. And if you knew Wayman Tisdale, your life was better. If you were around Wayman Tisdale, your life was better because his just effervescent lifestyle would rub off on you. That was a great period of time in my career being around the great Wayman Tisdale. Those are some of my memories as a kid. I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. I've got many more that I will share with you coming up on Friday, but I'm so thankful that Bert Napier was my dad. I'm so thankful that, as I've talked about since 2020, that my father really tried to make a difference in the world. And Frank Taramina's paragraph and Bert, whatever else he did, always stood for that, for a genuine concern for other people, particularly people who may not have enjoyed the advantages that some people do, the woman he visited in prison, the concern he had for minorities. That's my dad in a nutshell. And I'm grateful that I was born a Napier and that I was raised the right way. And not to get off on a tangent here, but if you had told me that my life would be upended because I believe all lives matter, every single one, if I didn't believe that, my dad would be rolling around in his grave right now because that's how I was raised. That's exactly how I was raised. Our religion of Unitarian Universalists preached that first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. We didn't just say it, we lived it. Our actions spoke louder than our words. My dad's actions always spoke louder than his words. Visiting women in prison, because my dad was the head of the Men Against Domestic Violence on Long Island. I'd share the story of my dad visiting a woman that was in prison for murder because it was the only way she could stop the abuse from her partner. And I don't remember why she could not get off in self-defense. I don't remember the story that vividly. But I remember that my dad forgo going to dinner with his son before the next game because he had his priorities straight. It's like, I will see my son at the game and after the game, but I promised that I was going to go visit this woman who I just met and did not know because she had nobody else in prison. That was my dad. 
And, you know, I've talked about this woman being African-American. My dad didn't care whether you were black. He didn't care if you were white. He didn't care if you were Muslim. He didn't care if you were Jewish. He didn't care if you were gay. He didn't care. All right. My dad was about doing what's right. What's right is right. And what's wrong is wrong. And my dad stood for that and lived by that premise every single day. And that's how I've tried to live my life every single day. So I'm thankful that Bert Napier is my father. And I'm thankful that his qualities are instilled in me. And I'm thankful that I have so many people that continue to support me on all my various platforms. And I'm thankful that I have a forum like this where you can listen and we can share stories and maybe educate ourselves in the process. Part two coming up on Friday. Hey, I really hope that each and every one of you have a very happy Thanksgiving. Take a couple of moments and reflect what you're thankful for. I've shared some of the things I'm thankful for, and I'll do some more on Friday. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is now time for our CrowdUltra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. Derek asks, will the NBA Western Conference be this tightly contested the whole season? Yep, that's a great question, Derek. And every single game is important. You cannot be losing games that you're supposed to win because they could bite you at the end of 82. So yes, I think it will be a horse race for all 82 games. Matt wants to know, are the Giants starting to unravel? Matt, I think the Giants are going to lose Thursday to Dallas. I think their biggest issue are injuries. All right? Uh, Adoree Jackson, out four to six weeks, their best defensive player, best defensive, uh, you know, I mean, cornerback. guy guys, great. They're going to miss him. I don't know if they can recover from that. They lost a rookie wide receiver, Robinson, ACL. I think injuries are catching up with them. Matt, I would not be shocked if they don't make the playoffs. And they have seven wins right now. Luke wants to know, how much money do you think Aaron Judge will make a year? Luke, I don't know anything about you. I don't know what you do for a living, but a hell of a lot more that you and I do. Tom wants to know, how much of the World Cup will you be watching? Tom, I don't really have a lot of interest in the World Cup, and I'm really kind of, um, it's put a kind of a sour taste in my mouth, everything that's going on with the World Cup and Qatar. So I'm probably not going to watch any of it. I'd be curious to know, Tom, if you will be watching the World Cup. Nick from New York, should Tom Thibodeau be fired? I don't know whether he should or not, but he's probably not going to survive after this year, Nick. I'd be surprised. You know, the Knicks are a mess. You know, it was the, not last year, the year before. You know, the Knicks are a number four seed. They lose to the fifth seed Hawks, and from that point, uh, it has been all downhill. All right, Stacy wants to know, do you have any Thanksgiving plans? I'm going to be watching the uh, three football games 
and uh, hanging out with uh, family and friends, but pretty much just watching uh, football. I am not a big Thanksgiving guy. And by that, I mean, I don't really enjoy sitting at a table for a long period of time with people. I don't like that. I've never liked that. I do not like hanging around a dinner table and just sitting there for two hours. That's not my cup of tea. I like a buffet. I like to get my food. I like to eat. And then I like to relax. I do not like being at formal dinners at all. Just that, that is not for me, Stacy. Not my cup of tea. I know a lot of families, they can sit around and they can have a great time around the table. Uh-uh, that's not me. That's never been me. I do not care for that. I, I wonder if I'm in the minority <laughs> with this or most people feel the way I do, but they just don't want to let their loved ones know. Corey wants to know, have you seen the highlights of Dwight Howard dominating in Taiwan and clearly having fun? Corey, I haven't seen, but why would anybody be surprised that Dwight Howard is dominating basketball in Taiwan? And I'm glad he is having uh, fun. Rich wants to know, who had a better run, uh, Patterson or Jones? Well, I, I guess it is subjective. I thought Patterson's kickoff return is ninth of his uh, career was pretty darn impressive. Dan wants to know, Barstool says the New Jersey Devils are their most entertaining NHL team to watch. Agree or disagree? Mm, they're pretty entertaining to watch. As a matter of fact, I watched them the other night. They're on an incredible win streak. I still, still think watching Edmonton with Connor McDavid, I don't think you can beat that. I think when you Connor McDavid is on the ice, uh, you make sure you do not turn your head. I mean, that guy is unfreaking believable Hey, if you need to... Get involved in CrowdUltra. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. And again, maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. It's time for Grant. Today's rant is brought to you by Zoom 180, a flashlight that is in mass production right now. You will be blown away when this becomes available to the public. You will not believe it. It will be unlike anything you've ever seen before. Remember, Zoom 180, when you see it, you're going to go, Napes, how do I get my hands on that? I'm telling you, you've never seen anything like it. Zoom 180. What a disgrace the Golden State Warriors are. And Steve Kerr should be ashamed of himself. An absolute disgrace. Last night, the Warriors played in New Orleans. They get blown out 128 to 83. He decided for the second time in less than three weeks, because it was the second of a back-to-back, to not play Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andrew Wiggins. Same thing happened the first time around when they were in New Orleans. And Steve Kerr has the audacity after the game to say this, quote, we understand we have a responsibility in this league with the franchise that we are to try to put on the best show we can every night, but that also includes maintaining guys' health in the long term. We don't control the schedule. I feel awful for the fans, but ultimately our responsibility is to make sure our players are around for the whole year. You know what, Steve Kerr? I've always respected you, but you should be ashamed of yourself. All right. By the way, the game was completely sold out. It was packed for both contests against the Warriors, and yet they don't get a chance to see Curry, Thompson, Green, and Wiggins twice in a span of three weeks. And the NBA needs to come out, and they need to do something to the Golden State Warriors. You cannot have this. You cannot have a franchise like the Warriors resting their players in a span of three weeks twice when they don't go back to New Orleans the rest of the year. Every single person should have their money refunded by the Golden State Warriors who was at the 
the game last night. And it should come out of Steve Kerr's paycheck. Shame on Kerr. He ought to be ashamed of himself. That is a disgrace. It's a disgrace for NBA fans everywhere. It's a disgrace for sports fans in general. It's a disgrace to the Pelicans fans. And you know what, Steve Kerr? I don't know how the hell you're looking in the mirror these days. Shame on you. That is awful. Absolutely awful. And that's my rant for today. Hey, that's my podcast for today. Don't forget part two of Grant's stories and what I'm thankful for coming up on Friday. Once again, have yourself a very happy Thanksgiving. So long, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.